All right, you ready for the word? Yes. All right, we're in the book of Galatians. Chapter 3. And we're going to start with verse 6 and read down to verse 11. So let's read. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham before hand saying in you all the nations shall be blessed so that those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham for as many as are of the works of the law they're under the curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Let's pray over our meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it has all the nutrition that we need spiritually today, and we're going to open our heart and receive it by faith. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace. And Father, cause the people to walk away hearing from you in a special way. We thank you. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Go back to verse 6. Let's start unpacking it this morning. It says, just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. This verse starts out just as. You don't just walk up to someone and say, just as. Just as is a lot like therefore. There's something written before. And so let's actually pop up to verse 5, because that's really what Paul's talking about into verse 6. Galatians 3, 5 says, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith, just as Abraham? Just as Abraham what? Abraham had a miracle worked in his life, and was it by his works? Did he deserve it? Did he earn it? Did he work for that? No, no, it's by the hearing of faith. A promise was given to him, and a miracle took place in Abraham. Well, what was that miracle? Well, the miracle was his reproductive system came back alive. Praise God. And there's a miracle in Sarah's life. Matter of fact, before uh, menopause, why do you call it menopause? Shouldn't it be womanopause? <laughs> anyway, sorry, I think about things too much. But she was, she was barren from the start with. She never was able to have children and then went through menopause. So she was doubly dead. And so God did a miracle in the reproductive systems. But it was the hearing of faith. It was the promise that did it. It wasn't their efforts and their confessions and their Bible reading. There wasn't a Bible to read. And so they just trusted the promise of God, and God did a miracle in them. This section of Scripture, Paul's going to bring out Abraham as the example of someone that's made right with God by faith, not by their works. See, the Judaizers or the legalists that had slipped into the church after Paul left, they were deceiving the Galatians that got saved by grace through faith, and they started saying, no, 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 you need to be circumcised to be saved. Look back to Abraham. Abraham was circumcised. You need to follow Abraham in circumcision to be right with God. Well, he's going to pull the rug right out from under these. He's going to bring out that Abraham was made righteous by faith 10 years before he was ever circumcised. He was circumcised 10 years later after he got saved by faith, and he didn't earn it or deserve it. He just believed in the Lord and was counted for righteousness' sake. And so, again, circumcision in chapter 17, where Abraham was circumcised in Genesis 17, that's 10 years later than when he was saved in chapter 15, by faith in the Lord. So, I want you to look in Genesis 15, 5. This is in the King James, please. 
Abraham believing God means he participated in the hearing of faith. Say hearing of faith. Abraham heard the promise from God that he would have a son and believed. Look at Genesis 15, 5 in the King James. It brings out a word that's translated correctly. I like it in the King James. Genesis 15, 5 says, And the Lord brought Abram forth abroad and said, Look now towards the heaven and tell the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. Say seed. Your king, New King James says descendants. That's not a good translation. The Hebrew says seed, singular, seed. And this later in this chapter, Paul's going to bring out the whole fact of seeds plural and seed singular. He's going to bring out this seed was one seed. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the seed of Abraham. Well, I thought I was the seed of Abraham. I thought believers were the seed of Abraham. You are the seed of Abraham. Why? Because you accept Jesus. And you get put in union with him. And when you become in union with Jesus, everything he is and has, he shares it with you. So you're a co-seed with the seed of Abraham. Tell someone you're a co-seed. Not a hayseed. It was what Abraham believed that caused him to be righteous. What did he believe? He believed, verse 6, Genesis 15, 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. What did he believe? He believed in the coming seed. Who was the coming seed? The Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham got saved that day the same way we got saved. He had faith in the Lord Jesus. When he had faith in the Lord, that coming seed, he was made righteous. That's the same way you got saved. You believe in the Lord Jesus, believe he was raised from the dead, and you're saved. So he's the father of those that would walk after him and receiving him by grace through faith. And so he is the seed of Abraham. And it says in verse and the next phrase, go back to Galatians 3, verse 6. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Say accounted. Accounted, accounted is an accounting term. There's debits, there's credits. Credit's better. So put onto your account. And so Abraham, it was credited to him for righteousness. It was a legal term. It was put on his account. But I want you to see something. Abraham was never born again. Jesus had to come and die and raise again from the dead in order for someone to be born again because we're quickened in the new birth by the resurrection power and life of Jesus. So he hadn't come yet. It was just merely a legal term. It was also put to his account. Let me say this. Abraham got saved on credit. And I think most people in here understand credit. You have credit cards. And some of them, you're busy paying them off now after Christmas. And credit cards are so easy to use, aren't they? You just go in there and go zap, 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 zap. There's some Christians that have carpal tunnel syndrome. They'll just flat, flat, just use that credit card. You don't know how much really things cost until you start going on a money basis. Just putting on cash basis, you're like, that money's flying out of my wallet. But it's just so easy to just put it on credit, put it on credit, put it on credit, but there's a bill coming. Yeah. And one day, there, the bill has to be paid. That's what God did. He saved people, healed people, blessed people on credit. He said, put it on credit. Someone's going to come later and pay the bill. Guess what? Jesus was that one who came and paid the bill. I want you to see that in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 25. Romans 3.25 shows us this. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God, that's Jesus, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. For God to bless anyone, 
he has to have justice and holiness met. He can't just bless unrighteousness and him be righteous. And so there has to be righteousness fulfilled. Well, how would he be righteous? We're going to see in this verse that Jesus came and paid the debts. And so everybody blessed in the Old Testament were blessed on credit. That Jesus one day would come and pay up. Even in his earthly ministry, people were healed. Many people were set free, but it was on credit to what Jesus would do at the cross. Keep reading this verse. Let me read it again. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. That means a satisfaction of a debt. Propitiation means satisfaction. There was a satisfaction of a debt by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because... In his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. He still blessed them even though there was sin there, knowing that someone would come and pay the debt. And they got saved and blessed on credit. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. In the New Testament, tell someone you're in the New Testament. You're not an Old Covenant believer. Some Christians are like Old Testament prophets. Claiming doom and gloom and woe is me and woe is you and woe is everyone. No, in the New Testament, guess what? Righteousness is not just put on your account. It is legally put on your account. But in the New Covenant, guess what? You got born again. When you got born again, guess what? You became righteous. It's not just a legal thing. It's an actual thing. Because uh, legal righteousness is called imputation. You're imputed as righteous. In the new birth, you're imparted righteousness. You become righteous. Look in 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, the God the Father, made him the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? Let me say something to you. The level that Jesus went to is the level you go to on the other side of the cross. How far? It says Jesus bore our sins. Raise your hand if you're glad that Jesus bore all your sins. But he went deeper than that. He became sin. Why would he go beyond just bearing sin to become sin? Because the level he went to is the level you can go to after the cross. Because guess what? When you got saved, you don't just bear righteousness. It's not just covering you. You are righteous. You became righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.22 says, or 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we become the righteousness of God in him. Abraham was accounted righteous 10 years before he was circumcised, and 400 years before the law was ever given, as a pattern for us to follow before. God saved us and blesses us by grace, not by our works. And so look at uh, verse 7, Galatians 3.7. Therefore, know that only, say only, only, only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. This brings out, why do I bring this out? Because there's a teaching today called universalism. That teaches died, Jesus died for everybody, so everybody is going to have partake of the blessing of God, and they're the blessing of, they're the sons of Abraham, and they're the children of God. We're going to find out, no, no, it's those of faith, say of faith, faith. are the sons of Abraham. And so not everybody automatically is a son of Abraham. And so you got to do that by faith. Look at the word know. The word know in the Greek means to come to know through a process. Come to know progressively. And that's the Christian walk. It's the most important thing in the Christian life is what you know. 
It's the revelation that you have. You must grow in revelation knowledge of who you are, what you have, and what you can do in Christ Jesus. The more revelation you go, the more you can appropriate what belongs to you. And so, again, that's so important what you know. And so it says, those, please, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Look at the word sons. It's a Greek word, weos in the Greek. It's H-U-I-O-S if you're taking notes. There are two Greek words for sons in the New Testament. One is technon. That's a kind of a weird word. But it's for a small child. Technon was a small child. But a weos was an adult, mature, legal son that had the right to the family name and the possessions of the family. As a matter of fact, in this age of what we lived in, back in the Bible days, actually when you were born as a child, you were not yet ready to be called an adult legal son. You were a technon. And so you were trained by governors and, 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 and those that would train up a child to explain who they were. But when you reached a certain age, like 13, you would go through a rite called son placing. And you were legally put into the family you were born in. You were placed as a son. And that's a position where you had the full legal rights to use the name of the family and have access to the resources. Guess what when you got born again? You got placed as a weos, not a technon. Tell someone you're a little weos. Some of you are big weos. Praise God. But you, but, but you are placed in sonship. You have the right to the family name. What's the name that you can use? Jesus. And you have all the access to the family resources in the name of Jesus. And so, but a lot of people, the problem with Christians is they don't know it. In their mind, they're a technon. They still feel like they have to earn it. They're still trying to, to work for it. But no, no, God placed you in sonship. Tell someone you're a son of Abraham. Now, ladies, I know you're struggling with that. Sonship, sonship is not a sex. It's a position. So, so you're sons of Abraham, sons of God. And anyway, I'm a bride of Christ. Praise God. I forgot my veil. Remember to bring my veil next time. It does take a maturing process, however, to learn what belongs to us and how to appropriate it. That's in our soul. Our soul goes through the renewing mind of our sonship and what belongs to us. The Jews thought they were all children of Abraham by physical birth. And so Paul says, no, those of faith are the sons of Abraham. It's not just a natural lineage. Jesus brought that out. He said one day, you you put your trust that you're the sons of Abraham. You're the children of Abraham. He says, I can pick those rocks over there and make those stones into natural sons of Abraham. No, it's those of faith are the sons of Abraham. So the true children of Abraham are not born of the flesh, but the spirit through faith. Let's see that in Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 7. I'm talking fast. Get the, get, uh, I almost said get the tape. Boy, I'm, go online. Let's do it again. Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 7. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Abraham had two children. He had, he had Ishmael and he had Isaac. He said, no, it's in Isaac. Ishmael was an unbeliever. Isaac became a believer. So in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, those who are, of the, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Let me bring something out, and it may just suck the air out of the room, but I'll put it back. Not everybody's a child of God. 
Oh, sure, everybody, every human's a child of God. Everybody's a creation of God, but not everybody's the children of God. It's those of faith in the promise through Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, I just don't see that. Can you let the scripture stand in the way of what you believe? Look at John chapter 1. Please look at verse 12. John 1, 12. But as many, as what? Received him. These are receivers. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he even makes it clearer. To those who believe in his name. Raise your hand if you've done that. Tell someone, hi, child of God. Let's look at verse 8. Galatians 3, 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. The scripture, um, the scripture foreseeing and preaching. Sometimes we look at scripture, just read over a Bible verse, and don't really see what it's saying. I want you to look at this verse very closely today. And the scripture, say the scripture, scripture. foreseeing, preached to Abraham. The scripture foresaw and preached to Abraham. I think it's very important to note here that when Abraham was alive and the scripture foresaw and preached to Abraham, the scriptures were not written yet. Not one, one jot, one tittle was written because Moses 400 years later, started writing the scripture. What is this talking about? The scripture, this is not a thing. This is a title. And it's a person called the scripture. Who is the scripture? Jesus. Jesus is the scripture. Well, where's that? Well, John chapter 1 says he's the word of God. The eternal word of God. Where we have Jesus, a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus ministering in the Old Testament. Don't be shocked that that happened here. It happened throughout the Old Testament. He would come often in different forms, in different ways. Often he would come as the angel of the Lord. He had appeared to Moses and to Gideon and to Samson and to different ones and to Joshua. He appeared as the angel of the Lord. The angel part, it can be translated angel or messenger. Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. Whenever you see God showing up in the Old Covenant, that's Jesus Christ. God the Father is invisible. The Holy Spirit's invisible. Jesus Christ is the second member of the Godhead, and he's the visible member of the Godhead. Whenever you see Jesus, see God in the Old Testament, it's a pre-incarnate presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so he came and he preached the gospel to Abraham. And so when was that? Well, first of all, it said that the scripture foreseeing, say foreseeing. You know, foreknowledge is a divine attribute. Only God can foresee. We can't foresee our future. God can see our future. And so it says the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, that's the Father, through the Gentiles by faith. I want you to see the word Gentiles here. The King James, I love the King James. He calls them heathen. Praise God. Tell someone you used to be a heathen. Now tell someone else, you still have a little heathen in you. That's in your soul. You're working on that. Your spirit is 100% right. Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen by faith. Preached. Preached to Abraham. 
Well, when Abraham heard the gospel from the Lord himself, look at John chapter 8, look at verse 56. I, Jesus just loved messing with the, with the Pharisees. The, he would love to say stuff and then we go, hop, 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 hop. what? This is one of the, one of the ways he, he, he said this. He's speaking to the Pharisees, said this in John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not, you're not even 50 years old. And what did he say? Before Abraham was, I am God. So when did the Lord preach the gospel to Abraham? It was first brought forth in Genesis 12. Look at verse 3. Genesis 12. Look at verse 3. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The gospel of grace is for everybody, for every man, every woman, every child. It's available universally. Here we see the first glimmers of the gospel, the Lord speaking directly to Abraham. But later, he even gets more specific in Genesis 22. Look at Genesis 22. Look at verse 18. The Lord says to Abram, in your seed, say seed, seed, that's singular, the Lord Jesus Christ, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Chapter 12, he says, in you will the families be blessed, but then he goes, no, it's in your seed. All the na- that's the gospel that you're going to tell someone you're blessed. Yeah. Amen. You're blessed, you heathen. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, you're not a heathen anymore. You're righteous. We know that. Abraham obeyed. This was on Mount Moriah when God asked him to give up his son to him. A lot of people don't understand that story of Abraham sacrificing his son. Why would God ask him to sacrifice his son? Because it would end up being typology. Matter of fact, where is Mount Moriah? It's in the same mountain where he was crucified. It was the temple mount in the area around there. And so Mount Moriah is the place where Jesus was sacrificed up. He says, I want you to give your son. He says, your only son, the son who you love. And I want you to be, him to be sacrificed on the same mountain where Jesus is. And he said it as a typology. And so you think, that's horrible that Abraham would do child sacrifice. Let me say something to you. Abraham had no intention, no thought at all that he would lose his son on that mountain that day. Not one thought of it. Matter of fact, he says, I want you to, to, to go to a mountain that I tell you to sacrifice your son. And he rose up early. You read the scripture, it says he rose up early. If I was going to sacrifice my child, I'd wake, be a late sleeper. I'd hit the snooze alarm multiple times before I'd ever got around to doing it. But, but no, he popped up early in the morning, put his aftershave on, whistling a song in joy because he knew something, a miracle was about to take place. He had received a promise. And so he gets to Mount Moriah and he tells the people with him, what does he say? Me and the boy are going to go yonder to worship, but we are coming back. He had no intention of leaving his son dead on a mountain. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews tells us exactly what he was thinking about. Look in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, look at verse 17. You got me worked up today. I don't know what's going on. Because <laughs> I'm ready for South Africa, I guess. <laughs> Hebrews 11, look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, 
offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises. Say received the promises. We're going to like, what promise was he standing on? He received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Who else offered up his only begotten son? God the Father. This was going to be a type and shadow of Jesus. Matter of fact, when he carried up, he was carrying, Isaac said he carried up the wood for the sacrifice, climbing up the mountain with wood on his shoulders, representing Jesus Christ. Verse 18. What promise had, was he standing on? Of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. He knew for God to bless the nations, he would have to marry and have children. And he realized there's impossible for him to stay dead and God keep his promise. And God does not lie. And so this is what he's thinking. Next verse, verse 19. This is what he was thinking on that mountain that day. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he received him in a figurative sense. He says, if I have to slay him, God's going to have to raise him from the dead. Hallelujah. In you, all the nations will be blessed. All nations outside of Israel would be blessed. It was never God's intention to only save and redeem Jews. Never his intention. His intention was to save those that would believe around the world. It says, we are blessed in Abraham's seed. Look at verse 9. So then those who are of faith, say of faith, are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 8 brings out the fact that all the nations are going to be blessed, but verse 9 specifies that it's only those of faith will be blessed with Abraham. So you could take verse, some verses you can take and try to twist it to universalism, but if you just look in context, almost every single time you see it's not universalism because in this verse verse 9 it says those that are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham and so I, I, I revelation tells us this that one day around the throne there'll be those that have been redeemed out of every nation every tribe every kindred every tongue so not everybody's going to get saved but I believe there's going to be people getting saved out of every nation on earth Amen. hallelujah and I'll make sure South Africa's covered. I'm sure it's already covered, but just in case, make sure I'm going to do my part. So they which be of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's a, that's, that's a description, believing Abraham. I would love to have it read of me, believing Rick. Matter of fact, let's do that. Let's practice that. We need to verbalize things over our life. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, introduce yourself as believing in your first name. I don't want you saying, I'm doubting Thomas. We're going to get to heaven and we'll meet Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas. I'm not in doubt anymore. Stop it. We'll meet Rahab. Oh, the harlot. I, stop calling me that. I'm not a harlot anymore. Believing Abraham. You can translate this Greek word as believing or faithful. Abraham became faithful in his faith as it, his faith grew in the Lord. He didn't start out faithful. Abraham started up wishy-washy in and out like water. You know, God told him, leave your family, follow me. Guess what? He takes his family. 
takes his dad, T-Raw. It's not a dinosaur. It's his dad, T-Raw. He takes Lot, who means a lot of problems, takes him with him. He gets down to the promised land, and instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this land of famine, no, he bolts. He runs to Egypt and gives his wife away to save his neck. Abraham's a jerk. Then he does it twice. But every time he blows it, God is good to him, blesses him, and he really, and it's just like, I don't understand this God that's so good to me. Why is he so good to me? Because I don't deserve it. And he would build an altar, and he'd worship the Lord. Look, every single time he would blow it, afterwards God would bless him, and he'd build an altar and worship the Lord. Grace will cause you to fall in love with God. He fell more in love with God until his faith grew over these years to where he was willing to, to bring his boy up there to see a miracle take place because he trusted God and his promises. And this is Abraham. He's not born again. So what's your problem? He's trusting God to this level. You're born again. What's your financial situation? What's your health situation? What's that problem at work? That's nothing compared to what Abraham did. Tell someone, stand up and step up. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what, he just spent, I think he, the difference between him and us is that we're just too busy. He had nothing to do but just think about the promises. Just think about what the Lord, all he does is just think about and think about and think about and think about. And it just became bigger in him and bigger in him and bigger in him. I mean, he didn't have Oprah to watch you know, as the stomach turns, as face, he, he didn't have Facebook, he didn't have any, he, he just meditated day in and day out on the promises. As we become, we'll become more and more faithful in our Christian life as our faith grows in the Lord. Look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Say the curse. Not a curse. The curse. There is a specific called the curse of the law. We're going to find out what it is. Most of you are thinking Deuteronomy 28. That that's the curse of the law. No, those are the curses of the law. No, there's a singular, the curse, that the curses will come forth under if you are under the curse. And it says, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And so I want you to see, this is, it says, for it's written. I want you to go back to where this is quoted out of Deuteronomy 27. The, the curses of the law, Deuteronomy 28, but let's look at the curse in chapter 27. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say amen. I, I don't understand. I don't, God, I don't understand what does it mean to don't confirm all the words of the law. I looked it up in various translations, and I finally looked it up in the literal translation. What does this literally say in the literal translation? It says, cursed is he who does not rise to all the words of this law to do them. Let me say that again. Literally in the Hebrew, it says this. Cursed is he who does not rise to all the words of the law to do them, and all the people should say amen. And they said amen. How stupid can you get? Yeah. Amen. And then out of the curse came the curses in chapter 28. So what is it? What is the curse? What's right here in verse 10? Just keep reading the verse. You'll find out what the curse of the law is. For as many as are of the works of the law, they're under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue. Say continue. continue. 
continue. Jesus said this about his disciples. My disciples are those that continue in my word, my gospel. The, continue in my grace and my goodness. Those are my disciples. But you want to be a disciple of the law? This is what it looks like to be a law disciple. It says, who do, uh, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in some things. I'm sorry. The, uh, the clueless translation. Does not continue the rest of their life. All the time. There's never a time you can't continue. Continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I, I did a deep word study on the word all. I used to say this. I used to say I did a deep entomological, word, uh, entomological study on this word. Someone came up to me and says, actually, entomological means the study of insects. <laughs> so i got to change that. So I did a word study on the word all, and it means all. I've been, I've been searching for insects for years. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things were written in the book of the law to hear them. To do them. That's the curse. Where you're constantly having to perform. Constantly not a time. You can let up. Perfection all the time. That is a curse to live under. And then it will end up opening the door for sickness and disease and all the things of the curses to come into your life. And so it's it's written Cursed is everyone, not some people. Everyone who tries to live under the law will open themselves themselves up to the, to the curse and curses. Next of all, I'm going to see that, that it's an impossibility for you to keep the law. Look at James chapter 2, look at verse 10. We're almost done. I see the, air, I see the flight. You know, it's airstrip. Yeah, you have faith in me as the pilot. It's like, whatever that is, I see it. (laughs) James 2, look at verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law. There's 613 commandments in the law to be the whole law. 613. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point. Say one point. He is guilty of all. You have 612. I don't know how. You're a good guy. Good girl, you, you keep 612 of those and you break one of them. You're guilty of breaking all of it. The Mosaic Law, you know what about the Mosaic Law? It's a mosaic. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, what a mosaic is. Mosaic where you have little pieces of stone and you glue them and you keep put stone and stone and stone and, you, and then once you stand back, there's a picture in it. The Mosaic Law was a mosaic of 613 separate commandments, when you put it together and you stood back and you looked at it, it's, it was a picture of Jesus Christ. You break one of it, you destroyed all of it. You marred the image. And so it's impossible for us in, to, to be able to do that. But guess what? Secondly, it's so impossible to keep the law is God made it impossible. It's impossible on our side, but God on his side made it impossible. Why? Because some of the law was that you had to go three times a year to the temple in Jerusalem and you had to have sacrifices that you had to give. And God says, I'm going to make it to where you can't keep the law. I'll remove the temple. There's nowhere to go back to. You couldn't keep it if you wanted to. To do them. Verse 11. But no one, say, but but that no one, say no one, 
is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. No one. Tell someone you're a no one. I'm a somebody. Well, in this verse, you're a someone. You're a no one in this verse. But that no one is justified by the law, that's your works. That's what you do to earn God to pay your rent, to heal your body, to put your marriage back together. There's not a single person good enough to deserve and earn anything God's done for you. There's never been a person that was justified by the law. The law can only expose sin. It can hold you guilty. It can show you where you're wrong. But it cannot impart righteousness. It can impart life. Only Jesus can. The law can only pass a sentence, not justify. The law has to be satisfied. Where there's a debt, there must be death. And Jesus paid the debt on the cross. He put it and said, I'm here to pay the credit card off. And on the cross, he hung on the cross and he said, I'm still working on it. No, it is I'm sorry, clueless translation. He said, it is finished. The Greek word tetelestai. It was a banking term. It meant to be paid in full. Whenever you had a debt and it was satisfied, they would write across the bill, paid in full. Tell someone it's been paid in full. He paid your sins off. He paid your debts off. No one is justified by the law. It's like a bad apple that became, becomes corrupt and, and rotten and it falls off the tree. It would be something if that apple could heal itself, climb back up the tree, and hook itself back on. That's what the law basically said. It's impossible to do that. And so here it says, no one has ever been justified by the law in the sight of God. This ain't the sight of people. This is in God's sight. Saul of Tarsus. He said, under the law, I was blameless. What did that mean? That meant that everybody around him couldn't look at Saul and say, you did that wrong. You missed it there, Saul. He had his act so together on the outside that no one, he was blameless. But God saw his heart and revealed to Paul he was the chief of sinners, filled with pride, filled with self-righteousness. And he was rotten at the core, but the outside looked pristine. There were some other Bible characters called blameless in the Bible. What about uh, Noah? Said he was blameless. What about uh, Job? It said Job was blameless. What did that mean? That everybody around Job could look at Job and not find a single thing wrong with Job's life. He looked like he had it all together, but God saw his heart. I'm going to talk about Job this morning. I'm going to go where angels fear to tread. We talk about Job. Because most people get into Job, they get into the weeds about Job. They're wanting to talk about how did the devil get in there? And Job's about suffering well. I'm going to tell you what the core message of Job is. It's the core message of the Bible. What's the core message of the Bible? How can a person become right with God and be blessed by God? The Old Testament's filled with people trying to earn it. And then the New Testament, bingo, you receive it by faith. And so Job's all about that. Matter of fact, right in the center of Job, the question in Job is, how can a man be made right with God? But what means will he be blessed? Job... Obviously, we know Satan took everything he had, then afflicted his body, and then he had three friends. I hope you don't have three friends like this. 
And three friends came, and he did a good job for seven days. They just sat there for the week, sitting with Job. I want you to know something about your three friends and Job. They were all in the ministry. They were, they were preachers. They were ministers. They were pastors. They were in the ministry, and they all had the same uh, theology, pop theology of the day. Even since the fall of man, this was the theology of the day back then. You do good, you get good from God. When you do bad, you get bad from God. And so we had the three preachers just sitting there, and he did, they just, longer it goes, it's like, I got to preach my sermon. So one popped up one day and gave Job a sermon, his sermon, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. He says, okay, Job, we know that. You're getting a lot of bad, dude. What did you do? You must have did something heinous. You, you slept around on your wife. You didn't give, you, you didn't give work, your workers their wages. You stole from the poor poor. You stole their, their blanket. You had to have done this quality of bad to get this bad. What did you do, Job? Fess up. And Job was saying, I didn't do any of that. I did not. I don't, I don't understand this. Second preacher got up, taught the same from a different angle, same theology. Job says, I didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't do it. Third one got up, same message. I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And all three have three sermons that they, they take rounds. All three of them have three separate sermons with the same thing. And finally, Job's getting mad at the end. He says, I didn't do any of this. Do you know in your trial what you really believe comes to the surface? He gets angry at God. And at the end of that third sermon, he lifts his fist up to God. He says, God, I don't deserve this. I deserve good things. I'm righteous and you're not. Self-righteousness. Then God shows up in a whirlwind. Asks him a hundred questions. And he comes up with a string of zeros. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And at the end of that, he says, in the, I've heard you with the hearing of my ear, but now that I see you with my eyes, I don't deserve anything. He says, bingo. Because God wasn't good to Job because he was good. He was good to Job because God's good. Job didn't have a covenant with God. And then when he realized that it's all by grace, then God blessed him double with everything that was taken, with new children. But he had to keep the same wife. The same wife that said, curse God and die. She had the same theology. Just curse God and he'll kill you right now. That's what happens. If you curse God, he'll kill you. You got to hang in there in the marriage. For the just shall live by faith. You're tempted to get out and, and try to take care of this thing yourself and try to handle it yourself and thinking that if you quote enough scriptures and do enough stuff and charismatic gymnastics and, and, and a lot of people have, uh, have a faith chainsaw and they can't seem to get it to work, get their faith to work. They go, I'm a believing, 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 I'm a believing. And they're all the works and confessions and they're like the priests of Baal jumping all around the throne. See how serious I am. I'm going to cut myself and make promises and the just shall live by faith in God's grace. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you made us sons and daughters by grace. 
and that you bless us today by grace. And Father, we're not going to try to come under the law and be those of works, but those are believing Abrahams, believing believers. Today, God's saying, believe me. Just trust in my goodness. And I'll be good to you, not because you're good, because I'm that good. I thank you for your goodness being released to your people today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship God together. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? When I created you, I formed a perfect masterpiece. You are unlike anything I've ever sought to make. There is no improving you. You are my perfect work. So put on my word and you will see you as I do. What you are in Christ Jesus in heaven, you are as Christ Jesus on earth. Just as we were singing that song that we build our life on his love. You know, so often the temptation is to build our life on other people's love, human's love, acceptance. And what God has been showing me recently, I want you to think of a, a notice board. And the notice board has pins, and you pin things on that notice board. And so often we use shaky pins to try and hold our stuff up, to try and hold our problems up, hold our life up. And God's just saying, I'm the firm foundation. I'm that stable pin that when you take your life and you pin it with my pin, it stays there. He's the only pin that's big enough and strong enough to hold up your stuff, to support the weight of what you need supported. Praise him. It says in the word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I see like circumstances stuff and God is taking you out of that pit of destruction right now because he says, trust my word. Amen.